Thank you, Nahama. I'd like to welcome President Joel and Rabbi Glasser, all the distinguished guests, and to acknowledge the gracious. How about that? Yeah, okay. And uh, acknowledge the gracious sponsorship of Rabbi High and Ann Arbusfeld of the Kol Yom Rishon program and Madrashid Yom Rishon program overall. The big tent of Yeshiva University is the inspiration for the title and the mission of the Mitolcha Ohel series on which I am privileged to work together with the indefatigable Dr. Stuart Halpern based on the premise that the rich and diverse scholarship of the family that is the faculty and the administration of Yeshiva University that creates such a vibrant and exciting educational atmosphere in classrooms in America and Israel and beyond could be brought together in published form to share thoughts and insights on topics of Torah scholarship as was represented in the first two volumes devoted to studies of the weekly Parsha and of the weekly Haftorah. So you can imagine how thrilled we were when we realized that in time for the third volume our faculty would welcome the arrival of a world-renowned rabbinic leader who is himself the embodiment of a rich and diverse scholarship. The Torah tells us in the Parsha that we read yesterday, Parsha's Kisavo, that there was a commandment that was given to the Jews upon their entry into the land of Israel that they should set up large stones and that they should write on those stones the content of the entire Torah as the Ramban understands it. And the Gemara tells us in Masech Sota that included in that writing was to be a translation of the content in all of the languages of the nations of the world. And in the words of Rav Shamshin Rafal Hirsch, the people of Israel were to know from the outset that their mission was to help bring about the moral and spiritual salvation of all mankind. In his service as Chief Rabbi of the United Kingdom from 1991 to 2013, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs performed a magnificent service, not only in leading his community, the Jewish population of Great Britain and beyond, but in carrying their message outward as a frequent commenter to radio, television, and the press, and the author of 25 books, and ultimately serving in the House of Lords, all towards this message of helping to bring about the moral and spiritual salvation of all mankind. And not surprisingly, leading the Prince of Wales himself to comment that he is a light unto this nation. It is our great fortune that he has chosen to follow up that experience by serving as a light unto our community, not only from across the pond, from up close as well. And he does this in a formal teaching capacity, serving as the Kressel and Efrat Family University Professor of Jewish Thought, but also in so many other ways in which he enhances our educational, spiritual, and moral context. I personally benefited greatly from a consultation I had with him just a week and a half ago, 
in which I was greatly enhanced in my perspective and understanding of the topic in hand by his readily, immediately available, erudite and deeply thoughtful comments. It is wonderfully appropriate that this newest volume of Mitocha Ohel, which is devoted to studies of the weekday sitter, is able to serve as a vehicle for an essay of Rabbi Sachs on the topic of tefillah, and that the launching of the book itself should be the occasion of his lecture on the topic of prayer, the genius of the sages. Without further ado, I give you Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. Distinguished Rabbis, President of Yeshiva University, President Richard Joe, beloved friends, it's wonderful to be with you, and I thank you, Rabbi Feldman, for that. Louder, please. I will Osbekol Rashkado. Though I have to tell you, I, uh, I'm happy to see a little louder, uh, but let's see if you'll hear it a little better, and I'm not sure if that's always a good thing. But uh, I will say something, since we're launching a book on the nature of prayer, and if you look closely at the Tefillah, you'll hear something interesting about our speakers, and it's very interesting. On Rosh Hashanah, the day before, we read the most extraordinary prayer in the Sanitopia. And that prayer contains one of the most remarkable sequence of phrases I've ever come across. You remember what it says? Uvashofa Gadol Yitaka. Hakadosh Baruchu himself is blowing Shofa. And what do we hear? Recall. We hear just a still small voice. And the angels are terrified. I tell you, when Hashem speaks with a loud voice, everyone can hear. But when he speaks with a soft voice, that's when he's terrified. Because he means you. You have to bend forward. When you bend forward to listen, you come close to Akarish Prabhu. But since I'm not Akarish Prabhu, I'll try and speak loudly. <laughs> Friends, what a privilege it is to be with you, and indeed, as Rabbi Feldman has mentioned, to be teaching here in this great institution. I cannot tell you what a privilege it has been to teach at Michigan University with some most remarkable students. At this level, I will teach. With equally perhaps even more remarkable young ladies. This is a great, great institution. And I have to tell you, you and this institution are blessed by the family note and the family name because they are the future of this community. 
over the president of Yeshiva University and saying, I have waited 40 years to do this. <laughs> Elaine has been given serious ideas by this video. And President Joel has reminded us of the challenges of being a Jewish leader. You stand there minding your own business and suddenly come to some wars This is nature of Jewish leadership. And to be able to go through this without loss of enthusiasm or energy is the characteristic of a great leader. And President Joel Friends, just a couple of words about
which is probably that almost all of those Nobel Prize winners and uh, world chess masters were atheists, just like he was. <laughs> the only significant difference being the difference between Christian atheists and a Jewish So, um, I come to my first point that for 200 years we have lost at least 90% of our best minds. And that is a tragedy. It will be a tragedy in any cultural civilization, but in a religion that sees study and learning and life of the mind as the most fundamental way of serving God, it is more than a tragedy. It is a complete loss of courage. The second conversation I had 20 years ago, 20 years ago, having launched an organization called Jewish Continuity to transform Jewish life in Britain, which Robert Jenkins did, I published a book called Will We Have Jewish Rapture? It's a book challenging outmarriage. And, you know, we had a little success. Outmarriage rates in 1991 in Anglo-Jury were 24%. Outmarriage rates in 2013 in Anglo-Jury were 24%. So we stopped the growth that has happened in every other Jewish community, and we made a difference. However, when I published the book, I was approached by a very famous Catholic who happened to be married to a Jewish woman. And he said to me, I agree with your book, Chief Rabbi, but you have a problem. And this is what he said. 90% of Catholics believe. Only 10% of Jews believe. And to hear that from a Catholic, very challenging. Now, why do I say all this? Because Chazal produced, as well as all the Messiahs of Christ, a Messiah and Munah, a tractate on faith, and they gave it a name. They called it the Sidur. The Sidur is the book in which Chazal expressed every element of Jewish faith. It's another lecture for another time. But if we are going to have problems with faith, we are going to have problems with government. We will go to shul and we will say the words, but they will not touch us, they will not move us, they will not lift us, and they will not change us. Prayer is and can only be ultimately an I thou or a we thou conversation with and if therefore we are only socially orthodox Jews, we will find that we are talking to ourselves. Now, if that is the case, and I don't know in which direction the causality runs, is it because we're having difficulty governing, that we're having difficulty believing, or is it lahefah, because we have problems of faith, we have problems of prayer, I don't know. But one way to, it's really re-enter that I congratulate you, Stuart, and I congratulate Yeshiva University on producing this wonderful book, which although it is not only about prayer, it is not only about faith, 
Okay? Friends, since Mitoka Ohel is about Shiva, and since next month they travel, so we're going to begin sleepless already, uh, I will talk about two things, about Shiva and about Shiva. And we will see that Shiva and Shiva represent two areas, critical areas, of disagreement between two giants of the Jewish Middle Ages. Rambam, sorry, Rambam and Rambam. Between Maimonides and Nachmanides. It will turn out that Maimonides and Nachmanides had completely different views about Shiva and completely different views about Shilam. We can then go back and look at Hazama, the sages of the Mishnah and Gemara, and suddenly discover that they made a creative contribution to Judaism that is almost never spoken about, never thought about, but perhaps the most extraordinary contribution ever, ever made in Jewish history. They did something that was utterly revolutionary, which we don't see. the Makarot. Yeah? Can you see? Can you see source one? Do you all have the sources? Yeah? Source one. Here is the superscription, the heading, that my own is right to Yochot Shubah. Right? Yochot Shubah. Mitzvah Seyachat. The whole ten chapters of Yavod Shuvah consist of one command, which is Vahui Sheyashu Hechotem Mechetovitme Hashem Vahitvadeh The command is that a sinner should repent of his sin and confess. Okay? However, once we actually look at the substance of Maimonides, we say something very interesting. Have a look. Source 2. 
but not to the point. Here it is. Here is where the Rabbah sees the thought of the ministry of the Shabbat. When you commit certain sins, usually the Shoyeh, the way you commit certain sins, and you go to Chadas, and or an Asham, a sin offering, a guilt offering, then in addition to bringing a sacrifice, you have to confess which particular sin you were bringing the sacrifice for, and the Rabbah learns that is a separate minister to the bringing of the sacrifice. One minister bringing the sacrifice, there's a second minister, Vidu. However, the Rambam is saying something remarkable. He is admitting there is no source of a minister in the Torah to do Shabbat. There is no source. What there is, is there is a minister of Vidu. There's a command to confess. And in order to confess, you have to mean what if you mean what you say, then that means you admit that you did wrong, you regret that you did wrong, and you commit not to doing wrong in the future. In other words, Shiva, according to the Rabbah, is not an independent minister, it is a sincerity condition of the minister of confession. Now, the Rabbah, of course, has to answer a fundamental question, which he doesn't do in the Torah, he does it in an earlier book he wrote called the Sefer Mitzvot, where he Faces an obvious objection. There's an obvious objection. Shubosh is a sincerity condition of confession, which is the accompaniment to bringing us in our guilt offering. Now that we have no temple, now that we have no sacrifices, now that we don't bring a sin or a guilt offering, do we still have a minister to confess? And that is why he splits them apart. There's a minister to bring the Torah, but there's a separate minister to confess, and then what But in the case of Jill and in the case of Jill, 
they definitely do. Hugo without the requisite intention, Brown without the requisite intention, you have to the so we see that is the Rambam laws of Tshuva. It is from the laws of the sacrifices and so on and so forth. Now, already when I asked what is the source of Tshuva, you were very kind and showed us another source altogether, which we're going to read through the Shabbos. And here it is, Moses at the end of his life, lifting his eyes to the far horizons of the future. And you remember the Jewish, famous Jewish telegram I learned now there's a famous Jewish text which says, Stop worrying, he tells the fall. <laughs> so here's Moshe Rabbeinu instituting this Jewish minhag of telling the bad news. They haven't even got into Eretz Israel yet. And already he's telling you guys, you're going to get to Israel and you're going to cross the Jordan, you're going to win all the battles, and you know what? When all these things occur to you, the blessing and the curse, which I set before you, and you set it to your heart among all the nations where God scatters you, you shall return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice according to all I command you today. And God will restore your captivity and have compassion and return and gather you from all the places. If you are scattered to the furthest land under the heaven, from there I will gather you and there I will take you. And those are the first four verses of Dvarim chapter 30. But you will see, and he goes on in the same vein, and then in verse 11, Yudalaf, Ki HaMitzvah Hazot, because this command which I am commanding you today, no it is not too uh, elevated for you, and it's not too distant. It's not in heaven that you shall say, who will go up to heaven and bring it to us and let us hear it and we will do it. And it's not across the sea so that you will say, who can cross the sea and bring it back to us. It is very close to you. It is in your mouth and your heart to do it. Now, have you come across, have any of you, I'm sure you've all studied literary analyses of biblical texts. And you will know that what Hazal saw many, uh, 2,000 years ago, was rediscovered in our time, or in the 20th century, by two great thinkers, by Franz Rosenzweig and Martin Huber, who discovered this concept of what I learned in Hebrew as you look on pair of keywords, motif words. When you hear a word again and again, you know the Torah is focusing your attention on something. What's the key word of Horatius 1? You want to know? The key word of Horatius 1 is O, because seven times, and it is telling us that's the key word. The key word of Horatius 1 is not uh, Stephen Hawking giving us the birth of the cosmos, it is telling us that this universe is good. That is what it is telling us. Now, very often in, in the 
key words disappear in translation. And this is a key example. But I want you to listen again to those first four verses and tell me how many times you hear the word shuva, lashu, to return. Yeah? Go back and look at those verses. Can you see? Um, can you see verse 1? Can you see Vahashevota, right? Verse 1. Verse 2, Vashavta, you shall return. Yeah? Verse 3, Vashav Hashem, he will return. Etshvutacha, your captivity. Vashav, and, and, and return, etc., etc. Are you with me? How many, how many times in that have we just heard? Five times in three verses. Now what Ramban is doing in the 13th century, he's doing what Jews rediscovered in the 20th century, he's listening to a key word. And the key word here is Lashu, to return. And that is why the Ramban feels this is the source of the Mitzvah Shuvah. Are you with me? Moshe Rabbeinu sees the Israelites sinning and being sent into exile. And understanding that we've made Hadaim, Ganim, we are because of our sins, we were exiled from our land. And that is when they will have to do Shuba and come back to God, and God will bring them back to their land. Shuba is it, a physical return to the land, a spiritual return to the faith. Indivisible promise. And that is what the Ramban says, if you have a look at source 4. V'tam ki mitzvah azot. He says the obvious and superficial re- reading of the phrase, this command I give you today, the superficial reading is, al kala Torah kula. Moshe Rabbeinu is talking about the whole Torah, this life of the commandments that I give you today. However, he says, vanaron. However, I think the correct reading is ki al kol Torah. If Moses was referring to the whole Torah, he would have said what he said elsewhere in chapter eight, kol hamitzvah But he should have said kol hamitzvah, not hamitzvah hazot. Hamitzvah hazot sounds like he's talking about one specific mitzvah. This mitzvah, aval hamitzvah hazot al hanizkeret. He is referring to the command of Chuba, which has been mentioned throughout this passage by this key word of Rashi. Yeah? Are you with me? So this for the Ramban is the source of Chuba. Tell me, why do you think Maimonides, who lived a century before Maimonides, didn't read it enough Maimonides' work? What is Moses doing in those verses? You know, it shall come to pass that you will, you know, in goes and the king. This is what we're saying. Yeah? Can you see? According to the Ramban, this passage is not a command, it's a prophecy, it's a prediction. Yeah? It's not a mitzvah. I mean, the Ramban, I mean, it's a whole time. It's a whole time. It's a whole if you have a look in source uh, 5, can you see? Source 5. Here is the Rambam, later on in Hilchas Tshuva. He says, kulam All the prophets spoke about Tshuva, and Israel will only rede- be redeemed through Tshuva. And the Torah has already promised. 
שסוף ישראל לעשות תשובה בסוף גלותם, that in the end Israel will do תשובה at the end of their exile, ומיד הם נגלים and immediately well, they will be redeemed. So the Rambam brings Israel. He has to be glad to be reborn. a machloket about the Korahs. You know, we can agree on something, but we can disagree on which verse we learn it from. Is that what the argument is? I mean, it's at least that, but is it something more? Let me ask you a very simple question. How many years ago, when we read Sefer Shokin, we talked about the three kinds of leadership role in Israel. There were kings, there were priests, and there were prophets. Now, I want you to tell me, according to Maimonides, which world did Shuva come from? Did it come from the world of the kings, or the priests, or the prophets? Which world did it come from? Pardon? Maimonides. Maimonides. You bring a sacrifice, a father, a marshal, you take it to the place like he does, and while you're comes from Torah Kohanim. That is where the Rambam locates Shuvah. 
praying that somebody has an answer to this one. <laughs> Have a look. Have a look. In source 6, here is Maimonides. Hilchot Tefillah. Mitzvah say, he says, it's positive command, lead palel b'chol yom, to daven every day, to pray every day, shnema, as it is said, you shall serve the Lord your God with all your heart according to the oral tradition this avoda serving God means prayer you shall serve him with all your heart and the sages say which is the service of the heart? This is prayer. Then minyan tefillas minatara, and the number of prayers you have to pray a day is not minatara, nor is mishnah tefillah, the text of the prayer, minatara. Then tefillah lit zman kvua minatara, doesn't have a fixed time. So there's a mitzvah to pray, but it doesn't have a fixed text, or a place, or a fixed time. It's a mitzvah minatara, as it says, heart and what is the service of the heart is it's prayer. Now that is what he says at the opening of the Bhakti However, almost at the end of the Mishnah he comes back to the subject. And here it is in the next source. Can you see it? Rambam Hilchas Melachim chapter nine, it's the source seven. Al Shisha Dvarim Nitzavve Adam Arishon. Adam was commanded six things. Hosif Lanoach Evim Menachai. Noah was given an additional command. So there Sheva Mitzvahs Bnei Noach. Vehein Vehein Hayadava Bechol Olam Adavram. And so it was through the generations till Abraham. Ba Abraham came Abraham Venitzavve Yeta Aleilu. 
and he was given an extra com- two extra commands. Milah, he was commanded a circumcision. Vahu hitpalel shachrit. Abraham prayed the morning prayer. Isaac added another mitzvah to give tithe and he daven mincha towards the end of the day. Jacob added the sciatic nerve after his wrestling match with the angel. And he daven marav. So according to the Rambam, Philip is a positive command from the Torah and it was instituted by the patriarchs, Abraham was instituted, and the truth is that we can pray any number of times a day, in any words, at any time, at any place, it was only the rabbis who fixed it, but the prayer needs a biblical ministry. That's my monodies to deal with prayer. Nachmanides disagrees totally. And if you look at source 8, Hasagota Ramban, the Sefer Mitzvot Ramban, Nachmanides says, Elavadai, Kol Inyan Tfila Eno Chovat Klol. Prayer is not a biblical mitzvah at all. It is, it is something that, that God does that when we pray, He listens to us. But He doesn't command us to pray. And as for the phrase, serve God with all your heart, this is a positive command that we should serve God with a full heart. That's all. Nothing to do with davening. Okay? The Ramban holds that the mitzvah of Shilat is a long time. Ramban holds the mitzvah, the Hitpaleo, is mid-da-rabbanan. It's rabbinic. It's not mid-da-rabbanan. It's not biblical. Now, I want you to see what is the argument and the truth is that this is an argument that preceded them by a thousand years. Look at source nine. Itma Rabbi Yosi Barabi Khanina Oma. Tfilos Ovos Tiknum. According to Rabbi Yosi Barabi Khanina, the prayers were instituted by the patriarchs, as we've just heard, Abraham Shakra, etc. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi Omar, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said, Tfilos Keneget Tamidim Tiknum. The prayers were instituted to correspond to and to substitute for the Sabbath. Now we understand why Rabban holds that the mitzvah of davening is midderabbanan. Because what was the mitzvah midderaita? What was the biblical mitzvah? To offer the sacrifice. That is what Avodah Hashem was. The service of God was in the sanctuary when the priests offered Tamir Shaboka and Tamir Shaboka morning and afternoon sacrifices and Hector Kalabi and the Quran, etc., etc. And now we understand why prayer is rabbinic because it was only with the destruction of the temple that the rabbis instituted prayer as a substitute for sacrifice. So the Ramban holds his own biblical mitzvah at all of prayer. We can all pray when we want. It's not an obligation, and it is Chesed Hashem that He listens to us. But it's not a command. You wouldn't. 
Now, tell me something. Were the others prophets or priests? They were prophets, okay? They spoke to God, God spoke to them, and they went on journey in the They were in the And the prophet prophesied the priests. So, which world was spread out come from according to my mind? to think about some of the differences between a prophet and a priest. Can we do that just for a moment? Supposing you are a priest, do you know in advance what you're going to do today? Yeah. The wonderful thing, you know, Wittgenstein, my favorite philosopher, very, very absent-minded, I don't mind what I eat, so long as it's always the same. And I think in Cohen would say, I don't mind what I do, so long as it's always the same. But Cohen had an exactly prescribed ritual. What did he have to do when? Betting on whether today was a week there or a shabbos or a yonkers. You could specify it in advance at the end of time. Did the prophet always do the same? Truth is, he never knew from one day to the next what the prophet was going to do, what he was going to say, what he was going to predict. So priests always did the same thing and prophets always did different things. Do we have a word to describe the prophet? What made the prophet special? He was what kind of thing, what kind of leader? Pardon? You know, Max Weber. German sociologists distinguish two kinds of leadership charismatic leadership and bureaucratic leadership. There's leadership by the person as a person, and there's leadership in the virtual office. Now, what 
among the people, right? So that place of work was different. Now, I want you to listen carefully. What were the key words for account? The key words for account were Kodesh and Tov. Tahor and Tamer. Holy and commonplace, pure and impure. Those were the key words, the key verbs of a prophet were, of a priest were, lahavdil and lahavrot, to separate and to teach. That is the world of the priest. So the priest aspires to kedusha and Torah. What are the key words of the prophet? to Judaism, but they are different vocabularies. What is, uh, what etc, etc. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll go Were there any women priests? Were there any women prophets? Yes, that's another quite important distinction. You understand, there are certain offices from which women may be violent in Jewish law, but when it comes to Personal excellence, charisma. There are no distinctions between men and women. And that was why there were Nubiotes as well as A woman as well as a man can hear and speak the word. Etc., etc., etc. Let me ask you very simply what was the most important thing for a prophet? The short answer is the word. Right? If you look, there's a drop. All the prophets hear the word of God and speak the word. That was the world. It was the world of the words. What was the key thing for God? The key word thing for God was the deed. They offered the heart. They actually said nothing while they were offering the heart. The service of the priest was in silence. Yeah, they were him singing. Writing this, but the service in the day of the are actually offering the Quran not the sign. So the prophet lives in the world of words, and the priest lives in the world of deeds, and they live in different kinds of time as well. A Kohen is living in what we call cyclical time. The time goes round and round and round. You can predict it. The morning, noon, and night, autumn, winter, summer, spring, summer. It's a cyclical 
time. The Prophet lives in historical time. The today that's different from yesterday and different again from tomorrow. They live in different times, they have different roles, they have different responsibilities, they work in different places, they use different And you will see, if you look carefully at the whole of Tanakh, you will see that they actually use different words when it comes to Shuvah. What are the key words for a prophet? What are the key words? When you look at Akramas, chapter 16, by those are the priestly words. Kapara, Tahara. That is the priest. Those are the priestly words. Kapara, Tahara. What did we say when Moses was speaking as a prophet? What was the key word? Lashur, Shuma. Always, if you have a look throughout all the supremacy in, when The Nevi'im talk about Shuva and the Kranim talk about Sikha There is one word they share. The word Lislav. The verb Lislav. Prophets and priests both use this word. However, they use it differently. Because the prophet always uses it in the active and the priest always in the passive. You will only find when we're dealing with current time, what is the passage? The Nisla. The Nisla of Allah. Okay, the Nisla. That would run right through the priestly walls. But when Hashem, when Moses is up there as a prophet, let bring God to forgive the people who want to start saying, Salahi so the prophet uses the cow and the priest uses the Now I just want you, please, first of all, I want to resolve this between Rambam and Rambam. I want to get it out of order. Tell me, when God revealed himself on Sunday, who is he speaking? Was he speaking to us as individuals or us as a nation? I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Truth is, of course, he was speaking to both. But the question is, in your reading of Judas, what is the most important thing? The I thou or Mr. Social Orthodox? Seems to me that what is the shita of the Rambam, and if you really read the guide of the place and learn this general thing, my only focus is on the relation between the individual and the world. Now, my 
together. When it comes to Dominic, we don't vote as a prophet and as a priest. When it comes to Shubhah, we both do Shubhah, which is the prophetic thing, and we see Kaparantara, which is the priestly. The prophets didn't have any day set aside for Shubhah. Anything you do Shubhah, the nation as a whole, is a good day. That's our love for Meister. The service of Shubhah is special for us as individuals, but as a nation, whenever So the prophets and the priests came together in the two elements of the has Now, this is an achievement that I see in the And why did the prophets, why did Chazal feel they had a mandate to do this? Now, I have to tell you that it's something even more important. How many times? One and a half. Okay. <laughs> Two and a half. So we're not all coming, right? How many prophets and prophetesses do we have among us? <laughs> President Joe, you must institute immediately a postgraduate diploma in prophecy. And, and you can add a, an extra diploma, a master's in creative despair. What about that? <laughs> by God to come down the, and offer the people to make a covenant with him. What does God say he, he summoned to? Atentiuli Mamletikmai Vagoikosh. Mamletikmai. A kingdom of priests. That means a kingdom everyone whose members is a priest. What did Moses say to Joshua when two prophets were prophesying within the camp and he saw that as is a time when we will all be gone in and we will all be out here. And the whole of them is where the Jewish people never achieve this. But Hazal did achieve this. And made every one of us a prophet in our private prayer with God and every one of us a priest in our offering a collective prayer in learning about the 
everyone is a priest offering incense. Chazal and sheep, one of the priests and the prophets the other sheep. And I think With this I am, that we are entering this year with some apprehension. We come to a bruising in a difficult time. We've seen Israel in the wars. We've seen Israel not merely threatened by thousands of missiles, but Israel condemned by the world for doing. Well, it's not just the first right of every state, but the first duty of every state, which is to defend its citizens. Perhaps these have been difficult times, as you know, and to sacrifice. And this is something I never know. 120 years ago, in 1894, a young Viennese journalist called Theodor Herzl was in Paris covering the great strike. And he heard the French in Paris cry more for the death than the Jews. That made her suicide. This son, 120 years later, the cry of death to the Jews was heard again in the streets of Paris. Seventy years after the Holocaust, the words Jews and Gans were heard again in the streets of Germany. These are difficult times. And I want to say something to you very, very simple. Hazal lived through really good times. They lived through the worst times. Our people are the new ones in the world. They lost everything. They saw the Jewish people lose their land, their home, their sovereignty, their temple. There were no more kings. There were no more functioning priests. There were no more prophets. They lost everything. And out of that Bira Amita, in the depths of that deep pit of despair, they rescued a jewel of such incandescent splendor that it still astonishes me by its beauty. Still okay, we lost the temple, we lost our feet, we lost our priest, we lost our prophet. We then turned every Jew. To a priest, every Jew into a prophet, and every Jew into either a king or queen, stand out of the book of Hesed Parliament. And out of the depths of the strength, they go on the most extraordinary spiritual the only religion in all of human history that was adhered to by its disciples through every adversity, when everywhere in the world there were Turn it into light. 
friends, setting aside challenges coming in, in our individual lives and in our collective lives. If the Jewish people are Benesara, let us take that as Hashem calling on us to be His partners in redemption. Let us double and redouble our learning, our doubling, and our commitment to the collective good of the Jewish people. Let us reach out in love to every Jew, completely non-judgmentally, whether we're open orthodoxy, closed orthodoxy, social, anti-social, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't know, I like the idea of anti-social. Friends, whatever those people are, religious, not religious, orthodox, not orthodox, reach out to them in love, bring them close to Hashem. Hear him and his voice calling us through the lens of the Shabbat, saying, Lord, you shame me, she might kind of wake up I need you. God is saying right now, I need you. Let us take this moment of darkness and turn it into a blinding blaze of light. And may Hashem bless us with your help, with your God, with our Lord.